0: I don't know if you know who Akame is, no. but they, uh, yeah, it's funny. Nobody's ever heard of them. Um, but they have something like over 250,000 servers that are routing traffic for the internet all over the world. Now, I, I noticed them like years and years and years ago because whenever I would do a trace route between any two IPs on the planet, I would get like 15 Akame servers on the hops, you know, because the way the internet works, you don't like connect your, your IP doesn't connect directly to, let's say the website's IP that you're wanting to get information from. It does hops between all these servers. And it was like, there wasn't any connection I can make anywhere on the world that didn't have at least five hops that went through Akame servers. Um, And now they market themselves as, you know, network security and, you know, uh, uh, network, uh, various network services like CDN, like, uh, like content delivery and stuff like that, um, which is like something YouTube would be huge in, you know, YouTube is going to have certain demand for certain videos all over the planet. And a company like Akame can cache those videos where they're going to be the most watched all over you know, and they've got 250,000 servers to do it with. But I found out the other day that 90% of the planet uh, is, is, uh, is within one hop or two hops of an Akame server, something like that. So wow. almost 100% of the traffic goes to their servers. Now, here's where it's interesting, right? Like back when I first saw this, I couldn't make sense of it. I was like, like my thoughts were like, cause I'd never heard of them. I, you know, there was no Akame. I figured, okay, this must be an infrastructure domain, you know, like maybe owned by ICANN or something. And they just use it, you know, as a, their domain names for their routing and everything, you know? So I thought it was, you know, I just thought it was an anomaly. I was like, there's no way one company has all these servers all over the planet that every trace route is passing through. Are you guys familiar with uh, Michael Crichton? The author? He wrote yeah. uh, He wrote Jurassic Park. That's right. Okay? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, he wrote this other book called State of Fear. Okay. Yeah, I
1: heard
0: about that. Oh, it's an awesome book. In fact, he died right after it. And the whole thing is he's exposing the whole climate, uh, the climate change, um, you know, controversy. Okay, yeah, and he blows it out of the water. And I mean, this is a book of fiction and it has more footnotes than most scientific papers. Okay, (laughs) so but Michael Crichton was known for that, like, because he always did this crazy technology in his books. But he would say, look, this is based in reality. This isn't science fiction. You know what I mean? He would have footnotes and everything showing like the, ins- like the real world science that inspires his fictional writing, right? Well, in the book. Now, I just read this particular book a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago. And it's an older book, but I had never read it before. And in the book, he talks about this company, Akame, spelled the exact same way, that uses its tracking and tracing of data on the internet to not only uh, to, to predict and uh, influence world events. And it and it just, and it, The reason why this came up for me again today was because of my Pogo's chicken dream. I was like, dude, fucking 5G. They're like inserting (laughs) commercials into my head or something. (laughs) But I'd never heard of Pogo's chicken. and It was like a centerpiece in my dream. And so I go on and I search it. That's a real thing. It is, but it's like in Zimbabwe. You know what I mean? There's like (laughs) one. There's one Pogo's chicken in Zimbabwe and there's one Pogo's chicken that I think is probably out of business somewhere in the United States, okay? That's all I can find on the internet. But then I, I was thinking about, it, I'm like, holy fuck. Like if this if you were going to test for the effectiveness of influencing what people think about or dream about, inserting something like this that nobody's searching for, nobody's searching for fucking Pogo's chicken, but if you have the capacity to monitor all the traffic that's going to happen the next day, and all of a sudden there's a twenty thousand percent increase in searches for Pogo's chicken, will that tell you something about the effectiveness of your method? Okay, so that's basically what I want to get into because there's like a whole bunch around that, as well as like influencing events and uh, and predicting events. So I thought it was interesting that he had actually brought him up by name. And like I said, it was in that moment that I realized why they had those servers everywhere.
1: Interesting. Because or at least that, what infrastructure was afforded
0: to them or allowed to them. And the reality is when I was doing these trace routes and they were everywhere, because they can't say it was for content delivery. This is before YouTube. So content delivery wasn't really a big need. You know what I mean? Like, the, the bulk of the internet was, you know, crappy JPEG images and text. Like, that's it. <laughs> you know, like, that, was, that was the majority of the content of the internet. You didn't need to cache it all over the world, you know. Um, it, it just, the, the, the amount of overhead it would have taken to put that together at a time when it was not needed. Like I I can't imagine what that infrastructure would cost and the maintenance of it. And who knows how much of the fiber optic work they had to put into place. And I'm sure they're on the backbone everywhere they're at, like the infrastructure alone. We're talking about billions of dollars a year to maintain this, you know, and they were doing it at a time when it wasn't needed, you know? So I, I thought it was interesting. And then when I, you know, when I got over my, Falling victim to my pogo search, um, I did a search for Akame, and I, and I, you know I wasn't just searching for them because you know I could find their website. I was looking for other stuff that you know mentioned them, you know, and I found an NSA pamphlet <laughs> that just goes into detail about networking and the future of networking and it's either written by people at Akame or so basically there's a relationship there between the NSA and Akame of course there is interesting yeah so that's something I'd like to get into after our world is a mirror you don't want to just up. get on it right now <laughs> <laughs> I know I huh? really
2: and interestingly, okay. when you when you talked about infrastructure, how they just passed a huge infrastructure bill.
0: Oh, here in the United States, I, don't know. I did see the something States. about that. I didn't look yeah. into it yet,
2: though. Well, that's that. Yeah, whatever. That two point nine billion thing. I think.
0: Yeah, but yeah, but that's supposedly you know for bridges and roads and shit like that. Like in reality. They've spent trillions on the internet infrastructure worldwide. Um, and like I said, this Akame company, I don't know who the fuck funded them. Most likely, it came, the funding came out of the NSA and the CIA because this huge infrastructure that was put together at a time where it was clearly not needed and clearly could not be profitable.
1: What about now? Has the technology caught up to their infrastructure? Is it now a worthwhile
0: system? Oh, fuck yeah, because of media delivery. You've got, you've got Disney Plus, you've got Netflix, you've got YouTube. This network caches all those movies worldwide. And so when I want to watch a Netflix video in Zimbabwe right next to my Pogo's chicken, um, it comes right up. And I have no bandwidth issues or anything because it's actually hosted on a a Kame server that's a couple miles away, you know.
1: Hmm. I would like to know when they started building this system. Uh, It didn't take a
0: year to put it together. This must have taken decades to do. Exactly. Exactly. And like I said, it it was vast decades ago i I'm like, I was blown away by it. Like I said, I wrote it off. I'm like, there's no way this is an actual company or something that owns all these servers. Because I, I, I then I started like tracking the IP addresses to make sure I wasn't just hitting the same, like I, I thought maybe all my shit was being routed through just the same group. But, you know, I'd pick a different point on the other side of the planet and it's still hitting Akame servers, but all different IPs, all different DNS names. Yeah. It was crazy. There, you could not hit a single location on the planet without traveling through multiple Akame servers.
1: So they must be at 100% by now. There's no way they're still at 90 or less.
0: No, this was in 2019. They reported that 90% okay. of the population is within two hops or something like that of an Akame server, which basically means your internet service provider and then akame. <laughs> you know I mean?
1: like, um, yeah, anytime because, you connect with any website or
0: anything online, it's gonna hit an akami server. Ninety percent is a lot. You'd have to even if your next neighbor, door server. Even if your neighbor's hosting the website at home, <laughs> you're still going through an akame server to get to his website. What about some of those private servers that people have
1: talked about, where you like store all your stuff on this one server and it's end-to-end encrypted and all that stuff? If it's still going through Nakami the let's call it apricomi, uh, an Akami or a server, I guess I don't really know how the tunneling works and the, the encryption and the privacy aspects of it work, but is it put all of that stuff uh, in jeopardy, susceptible or available to their
0: their staff? Well, a majority, okay, so look at it this way. A majority of the traffic nowadays is over SSL, meaning it's a secured, you create you and the website that you're getting information from, create a encrypted tunnel and all the information passes through that. So none of the information that goes from that website to you or from you to that website is readable to anyone, okay? But here's the thing how did you get to the website, right? So a request, which is the URL or the URI is made and that's what they see, okay? And so they know, they already know, they have the entire internet cached. So when you, a URL gets requested by your browser, they know it. So they already know the content of the page you're going to. You know what I mean? And so by tracking this, like and not only that let's say you go to a website okay they can't see let's say you're leaving a comment they can't see the comment as it's going from your computer to the comment box on the website but as soon as you post it it's now part of the the website itself and is now readable and cached by them
2: right, okay so
0: Right, and this is how they predict future events and stuff. They actually, if, let, let, let's say you could take every word that everyone typed on the internet in a day, okay? What this is going to show you is trends of the way people are thinking. And the way, this is funny. This is actually kind of leading into our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way people are thinking is going to determine how events unfold, Okay. So And it's funny because in in Michael Crichton's book, that was like, it's funny, they're not even a plot point. It's like mentioned in passing in the book. In fact, if you look up any summaries of the book, you can't find any mention about this tech company or anything else, right? It's not a major plot point. Um, But in it, there's this organization that's creating these false weather events using technology right Use, creating tsunamis and crazy ice overs and you know shit like that using this technology to pass for their agendas around the quote unquote climate change crisis okay And they were using this this company was monitoring to say like to see because you can determine how people are thinking, Like, are we there yet? Are people going to accept this yet? Is this the right time? You know what I mean? Like they're literally, they can gauge where everyone in the world is at emotionally and mentally. Like that, I mean, that's, and they, and they actually, in the NSA document I brought up about a commie, that's, they talk about these, this, Vast multitude of metrics that they're using to graph this in they call it in uh, uh, Extremely complex models like a human being like human society, right? These are extremely complex models and they showed these graphing techniques that they're using and then like that shit was blowing my mind because I'm like what the like like yeah, I guess there's a way to make sense of this. You know what I mean? And they've been developing these methods of making sense of this vast amount of data for decades.
1: That blows my mind. Yeah. To take not just an individual's, what I would consider random expressions across the planet, but then to take billions of them all expressing at the same time and to find patterns in it. Right. And then create an algorithm to condense and analyze that information to predict something that's that we right.
0: take now remember what brought this back to the foreground with me was some a conversation i had with someone where they said they knew someone who worked at a comment right guess what his job was what writing algorithms <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's what it's all about because the algorithms are what's going to make sense of this vast data set
1: do you think they would compartmentalize that at all so it's not just like oh yeah
0: oh yeah the guy uh, has no idea what he's doing (laughs) he's i mean especially because if you if you're writing an algorithm you're writing it so it's open-ended it's not like the algorithm itself isn't isn't designed or built around a certain type of data. It's built for data in general, you feed in parameters. It gives you output. That's how you, that's how you design it. If you make it too restricted to like specific types or kinds of data, it's, it's not a very valuable algorithm. You know what I mean? So it's gotta be open and the more parameters you feed into it uh, and the, the more accurate the data that comes out of it because of those parameters, the the more effective it is as an algorithm okay i told you i my that website that i had with my brother that's what i did and why we were so successful in such a short amount of time was my the whole, entire website was ai driven it was all algorithms i was reading what everyone was i was monitoring everything everyone did on the website and using that to, so that the website was modifying itself to to get move the popular stuff in front of people's eyes to you know what i mean like it was it was it was engaging the consumer with uh, by designing itself in a way that they wanted it to be without knowing it <laughs> you know what i mean that was right. the algorithms that drove that website and why we exploded in success. Now, this is, again, this is back before Facebook. This, is, uh, this was MySpace. Like, the whole website was MySpace content. That's all it was. And, uh, and we went from nothing. <laughs> a, 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 a website with zero traffic, zero customers, in a market that already had hundreds of people doing what we were doing. We became number one within four months. Making what was, what was like the website called again? 100 times a hundred times the ad revenue of our closest competitor. Um, it was called ZooSpace X O O S P A C E. In yeah, fact, you can find on the archive on the Wayback Machine. It's still got <laughs> the website cached on there. Now it's not. It's not functional. You know what I mean? Because it's it was a data driven site, but they've got like images of. Well, not images, but like HTML mockups of of several of my pages, but they're not functional because they don't have all the server side scripting that generated the website itself.
1: Hmm. Yeah, because I remember finding websites similar to yours where I was customizing the backdrop or the layout or whatever yep. of my MySpace yep. page, and that had to yeah. been like the year after Facebook launched and I was still running multiple bands and stuff like that.
0: Right. Yeah. You might've used my shit. In I fact, there's a really good <laughs> chance you did because it was the most popular one.
1: Yeah. I mean, someone was like, Oh, I just use this thing. And when I would Google that name, it would come up with like a top three and I would just pick one that worked the easiest basically. Oh, this right. looks cool. And then you, what you would just copy the, the CSS or whatever the code was and then paste it into your Facebook comment box or something and it would pop up. Yep. Oh, those were the days. (laughs) I wonder if MySpace would have ever
0: turned into Facebook. Probably. No, no, no. Because that's that's what distinguished them, was the algorithms. The algorithms that were created and are at the foundation of Facebook are far superior to MySpace. In fact, I don't think MySpace had any algorithms. You know, um, you, you, you got Tom as a friend. <laughs> every time. <laughs> that's, as, that's as deep as their, <laughs> their algorithms went. You know what I mean? It was it was very uh, uh, surfacy. There was no depth to the complexity of its structure. And Facebook launched with a depth of algorithmic, complexity that myspace to this day doesn't have
1: yeah that's right let's not forget that myspace still exists
0: Maybe i know i actually found, i actually went and found my page on there uh i don't know a couple months ago or something because i was just curious i'm like dude this, and there's no way i could ever get into it because i'm sure i don't even have the email like you <laughs> <laughs> got me
1: curious i bet you i still have a myspace
0: yeah, I mean, it had been basically flushed of everything, but like three or four photos. I mean, there was nothing to it. It, it was it, it was a it was a hollow structure, so to speak. I, but I don't know if I had any friends or whatever. You know what I mean? Because I can't get into it, so I don't know anything about my own account. But boom,
1: there it is. Got a MySpace yeah, so,
0: still. yeah, <laughs> you brought it up.
1: <laughs> yep
0: and everybody
1: that's on here still looks like they did 15 years ago <laughs>
0: because no one's changed their
1: photos <laughs> oh shit this is hilarious
0: funny so yeah so that's the that's the capacity that i mean is if you get back to this vast data set right which is everything happening on the internet like yes your connections to websites and things like that are secure they're they're ssl encrypted but you got to remember the content of that page is known anything you leave on that page is known and so there there is this ability when you're when you're talking about who knows how many interactions like how many web requests Does your, do you make in a day when you include your laptop, tablets, phones, and you consider that your apps are doing it without you even intentionally doing it all day long? And then you consider that these apps are transmitting information like locations and, you know, uh, as much metadata as they can legally get away with all the time. The, these, the apps you have loaded on your phone are always communicating. So when you take that into consideration you, and, and you have an algor- really many algorithms that can take this complex set of data, you know, so we talked about being able to predict events, right? But you can also manufacture events. Like how many Twitter users do you think are not even real people? What percentage? Oh, it I'm
1: sure it's a lot.
0: Point one percent. Is it well, 1%? I would say like ten percent. Ten percent? Yeah. What if it's more? <laughs> like, remember these are—it's algorithmic. Like, you could create bots and algorithm. I could create a software program that's more complex than most human beings I know, because they're so rooted in their reactions to the world. You know, so it's—it would not be difficult or complicated to create algorithms that are doing Facebook posts, Twitter posts, like again, affecting, and, and not only that, when you know that certain types of content and certain types of language will affect people psychologically in a certain way. Well, now that you've got this vast data set and you've been able to successfully predict events and successfully uh determine the state of mind and the and the psychological state of people and their likely actions and their emotions and things like that. Could you now steer world events? Of course. Of course. Of course. Because you and could not flood. even in a subtle way. No, like dramatically.
1: I mean there was uh I don't know if you saw that a documentary about Cambridge Analytica on Netflix. Yeah,
0: and and to me that's
1: child's play.
0: That's what that I'm saying. Is, like that's what's out there in the
1: public on Netflix. What yeah. the real tech behind the scenes in is is decades past whatever that is. And if right. they're if they have, I forget what the statistic exactly was, but it was something like they only need seventeen data points on an individual to predict their behavior and they have over 500 data points on every American in the country that's on you know, the Internet at large. This excludes, like, 95-year-olds that are like, what's an iPad? <laughs> you know, those people. But for the vast majority, they have over 500-something data points on everybody, which easily is able to predict things. And they said you don't need to know, like, the – the predictive nature of their data points them to basically make the distinction whether or not this individual can be manipulated or cannot be manipulated. And if they can be manipulated, in what direction? And so they, they basically prey on the people that on, on, a, um, on any given subject, whatever it may be, they may or may not have made up their mind about something or the one degree in any direction the entire plate will then shift and everybody slides. And so it, it's really, you don't need hardly anybody to affect massive amounts of people. Even we talked about the, um, the 100th monkey thing where there was a certain amount of people that there's a tipping point basically. I don't even think it's that much anymore. I forget well, what it was—six percent or something.
0: Yeah, uh, it's something like that. No, it's—I uh, want to say it's let's say a one in eight. Hmm. So it's it's a lot more than six percent, but it's uh, it's a what do they call it? Um, uh, 2. fuck. 2. No, it's not called a tipping point. Um, it's called a uh, a fuck. I forget the the term. the The term has escaped me at the moment. But it's it's like a it's it's an effect of collective consciousness. That was the whole the whole demonstration of the hundredth monkey is a collective consciousness because monkey's behavior on one island was affecting monkey's behaviors on multiple islands simultaneously, you know? Um, so it, it had, it had affected monkey collective consciousness. <laughs> There's a, at a certain point and oh God, what is the word? It's not threshold. It's uh, saturation. Oh my, no, damn it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's at a certain point, like when enough people are aware and conscious of something, it affects the entire collective consciousness.
1: So what would it take to, instead of add new information in to ever so slightly shift the current state of mind? Like to say specifically, like the hundredth monkey, the initial experiments were done with taking what mangoes, peeled mangoes, and putting them in the
0: yeah, sand. It's called it's called critical mass. <laughs> critical mass. Yes. Um so
1: say this was something we're like, well, we don't even you know, we all love mangoes. But instead of saying we don't like mangoes or I'm going to add in this new information about how to clean mangoes, to say maybe not everybody likes mangoes. You know, adding in a little bit of doubt. I would imagine that that would take a a lower level of of critical mass than something to add in a new behavior or a new, entire new
0: belief system. Right. Well, I mean... I would say you could do uh, in reality an individual if no one else thinks what you're thinking you can doubt what the collective consciousness fully believes you know what i mean like you're not completely subject to like even the data points of let's say cambridge analytica like okay how much influence can they have their predictability is only so effective like oh if we show this ad they're gonna buy this stuff yeah no not really maybe 15 percent of the people will buy that stuff you know what i mean like but we know everything about you you don't (laughs) like they're basing their knowledge on what we call the, the 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 basic psychological factors right that they break people's personalities down by so that's how they're judging it they're like okay Based on what you look at, based on what you click on, based on other metadata that we've collected from your phone companies and your cable companies and things like that, we know you to have these aspects of the big five personality traits, right? And based on that, we in general know how you would react to this type of information, to this type of product, right? Um but it's, it's, an, it's a generality, okay? That's not where the power is in affecting the individual. The power is in seeing the vast majority and how that's going to affect the world. Like you, you and then being able to influence the vast majority, right? Not getting you to buy a particular product, but getting you into a certain emotional state, which could either uh, support or prevent some event that we want to occur, right? So in that way, that's where the power is at. And that's why this, these uh, algorithms that can analyze these vast data sets and make some sense, create some kind of usable metrics out of them, um, that's where the value is. It's really not on the individual or on the individual level. It's not it's not that effective.
1: Well that's what they talked about in that documentary too. They weren't saying that this is something you can get to market to these susceptible people so they'll go buy more Nikes. Right. It was it was using it to incite civil unrest and it was using it to right. fuel Brexit and the Trump administration right. and, and whatever else. Because if you show people like say a black dude getting harassed by the cops over and over and over what it creates in the collective consciousness of that country is a general understanding or belief that the police are not to be trusted or that black people are victims and what can you do with now that state of mind is really what they were talking about so you find those data points the people that will generate the fear and the people that will you know take this on subconsciously, that's what they're learning through the data. points,
0: Right. And it's, here's an interesting little fact because that's, we've seen that media has been doing that, right. They've been selling you on the idea that black people are being hunted down and murdered by police. Right. That's the idea you you've been sold. They went around and did, uh, like, uh, interviews with people. Like how many black people do you think were murdered by police last year? Right. And (laughs) now here's, here's where it gets funny. You saw numbers from like a majority of the people were answering like, like thousands to tens of thousands and some as far as a hundred thousand. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now what's the, actual? how many of these
1: people you think are in the country that can die like that every year?
0: Well, you know what the actual number of black men killed by police in 2019 when they were doing this little experiment? 17. <laughs> 19. 19. Oh, shit. 10. It Pretty was black. 19. It, it was 19. Now, that's not in like Detroit or something, right? That's in the entire country. No, that's that's the entire country. That's how many, not like just how white how cops, white right? Cops.
1: Say it again, Todd. I said that's a good, good,
0: uh, you know, how many white men? Uh Oh, uh, more. (laughs) 24. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember how many. I mean, again, none of those numbers are a lot. You know, defenseless people killed by police is not a big number in any, for any demographic. Okay. Um, But the imagery that's been pumped through media has convinced people that it's thousands a year. It's an epidemic.
2: Yeah. And that's actually less than the black-on-black black shooting in Chicago on a weekend. Oh, fuck
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> or in other cities, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of blown away. I'm like, really? That's it? <laughs> like, like, if I was a cop, and my job was to, like... Be dealing with dangerous people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like, and how many, I don't know, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of cops are there in this country. And in a year, they registered a couple dozen. <laughs> you know, like, like, wow, that's remarkable. You know, you don't get those. That, that's really an amazing result.
1: Well, it. It brings my mind to the question of what are we seeing? Are we seeing every single possible point of harassment? Are we seeing the worst of the worst? Are we seeing reruns from the last five years? Like what, what is it that everybody's getting exposed to?
0: Well, I mean, think about it. How many did you see in 2020? Four?
1: All of them. Oh, yeah. Four, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they were blown way out of proportion. True that. True and acted as if this is what's happening all the time. And it's not. It's clearly not.
1: Now, I wonder if it's increasing with the attention the media is giving. No, because
0: cops are like, fuck this. and won't get out of their cars. <laughs> <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: It's it's really, it's made the cops like, we're not doing our jobs. Fuck you guys. You want Okay, ban the police or, you know, defund the police. Okay, take care of yourselves. Good luck with that. <laughs> so you now have them. They won't even get out of their cars. <laughs> drive down the street. Somebody's mugging someone up. That's too bad.
1: <laughs> looks like a black guy. He looks dangerous. Let's keep going.
0: It, exactly. You know? Because if, if it is someone who's being violent, there's a good chance you're going to have to pull out your gun, and there's a good chance they may get killed. And then what? You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your pension. You're going to lose. Every, you're going to. Your life is going to be destroyed because you decided to do your job. <laughs> you know?
1: So this actually is a great segue to the topic of tonight because the way the world actually is, is drastically different than the way the world, you know, the people's interpretation of the world is, especially when it comes to police violence and what we've just been talking about. So the world as my mirror, which is the subject for tonight, I'm really seeing the way the world, I think the way the world is instead of the way the world it actually is. Nobody's really caring much about the statistics. In fact that's not even really part of the conversation. The conversation is about look at these four examples of the worldview or the ideology or the you know the mentality we're pushing or that is being pushed.
2: Yeah. So, good evening, guys. And Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Hi. It's an interesting topic. I think Jinji, I had a uh, neighbor who did an analysis of incarceration by race. And we totally had expected i I helped him spin the data you know do the graphs and that sort of thing and it was really from the um oh what was it the public information act or you know whatever that's called um he was able to get yeah he was able to get the information on on all the cases and he was you know he was familiar with the system so he knew a few people and was able to get some files there as well anyway um what ultimately happened after three years of us analyzing this is, um, it wasn't a matter of race; it was a matter of wealth, and, and and you know, I I don't know how this relates to the mirror, but um, just speaking into what you guys are talking about beforehand, um, it was a matter of wealth, which ended up deducing into a matter of race, right? For you know it ended up that there was an uh, an un an unnatural skew towards minorities, but um, if you took a poor white man and a rich black man, the poor white man was gonna suffer tremendously with the same crime so when when we compared um you know, this uh, different races and one being wealthy and how did they, how did they know who showed up in court with what kind of attorney and who showed up with the orange jumpsuit? Right. And that's how they deduced whether they had chattel on their hands or whether they, um, somebody actually had money and could pay the system to, to exit. So that, that was sort of interesting. The other interesting thing that happened last week i think that sort of speaks into what you guys are talking about is i i had a prospect that i took to lunch and he's a he's a um harvard data harvard grad data scientist and we were talking about the difference between um ai machine learning um Uh, And really analytics. And so, Brandon, as you're talking about the collection of data, that is, you know, you have all of this data, but it's not where, it's just subsets of data that become part of the toolbox of data. It's not until you get into the data science, which is the guys that write the algorithms that do your predictive and your prescriptive um, analytics or algorithms where they, they, you know, the what-if analysis. And that's where... Um, making that distinction for me was helpful, right? It went from like a, a data all over the place conversation. To how do they actually use it? So they go into all of this data and this toolbox, and they have these data scientists that actually sort of run simulations and what-if scenarios that are pretty complicated. Um, so that was interesting. Um, and I forgot what I was say. Oh, and the other thing I I think that came up while you guys were talking was, you know, if you go to like a legal deposition. <laughs> like you can see some of the sort of NLP or you know the antics that that indiv- that a- attorneys are using in the course of interrogating people if you will a- and if they're not getting the answer they want they ask a series of NLP based questions or grounding questions and sort of You know, like for example, if uh, let's see, what would be an example? If they asked a question that was somewhat subjective and you're giving an answer they don't necessarily want documented in a deposition, they might ask you, Is your name? abc or something really that's sort of factual and bring it back to facts and sort of reset the conversation and then at the end of a deposition is like the list of all the terms the every word that was used in that deposition and how many times it was actually said so it it was fascinating to me to um Sort of when we were always talking to the data scientists, just think through, you know, all the different types of data we've seen collected over the years, whether it be this bonding, whether it be depositions, whether like this shit's been going on for a long ass time. And it is well beyond most of our, uh, it sounds like Gingy and Brandon, you guys are obviously, you gotta, you get it. But I don't know. I sometimes I'm just like, what the hell? It scares the crap out of me. Anyway, I I went left on y'all, but thanks for for giving me space to speak.
1: Yeah, it's all good. Thanks for for sharing, Rachel. Um, One of the things that I think is important about what you said is it's not just a single data point or a single reason. Like you were talking about the, the product of your guys' research showed that it wasn't um, the race that was the most significant indicator it was the, the level of income. You know? And so multivariant analysis or research is important because I would say that it's, it's usually never just one reason. There are multiple factors that play into the likelihood of a specific outcome, especially when you're dealing with people. It's like a, a soup of potentials. So knowing that, to when you hear anybody you start to define, oh well, this is the way it is in the world because of this. Okay, that's one interpretation. That's one variant. What are the other factors at play? Because there's always more. Like Brandon said, human beings are vastly complicated, and the human societies are even more so complicated. That's it's important to realize that it's it's never really just one issue as far as as far as i've noticed anyway. brandon might have a different idea about it than i do did you guys do much of that rachel multivariant analysis
2: yeah you know he took he eventually took it to a data scientist i you know i could help him spin things in excel being an accountant but when it came to you know complex analysis yeah he took it to a data scientist i i I haven't followed up with them uh but i could do that but it it did deduce the same sort of you know wealth being a driving factor and then there were some other interesting pieces of insight and intel in there i i just can't share that because i don't i don't recall One of the things
1: Brandon and I were talking about recently um, is that one of the biggest indicators that you have for the performance and how people will perform or make out in their life is, is primarily about culture. And you'll find that people that are from the same areas that had similar upbringings and similar access to resources, they'll have similar outcomes in life, too. And so culture is, again, not just a single input, but a, a large volume of different inputs. The culture includes location and ideologies and a ton of stuff that vary drastically. But um, so that's probably the biggest thing that we've noticed that influences people's behavior more than anything. And then culture obviously is um, kind of a level of programming if you will, but also something that people end up choosing into at a certain point in their life. Like the culture of your home city versus the city that you're living in or your home city versus your home city now, you know, since you were born until you're a full-grown adult. The culture shifts, and it does from day to day and year to year and all of that. That's the biggest you know, that an environment, which environment is part of the culture. Can't take the humans out of the environment and still call them humans. Rachel, were you going to say something?
2: You know, I was thinking about, what was I going to say? You, When y'all were speaking into sort of the, you know, what's we're watching a television if you're watching television i'm not watching much tel- television but pretty much people being sort of pushed in a direction psychologically um uh, manipulated if you will how, how, how do you go about or you know through your culture or whatever right so i don't watch much television i've made it a point recently to watch close to none and yet i'm still getting you know all all the the energy of that in my life from the people that are, you know, that I check in with daily or people that I interface with daily. So they're just telling me the same BS that the TV's telling them, uh, you know, but when do you know you have a problem? You know, like what, when do you know that there's a race issue that needs to get handled or there's some checks and balances and wherever, whatever environment we're in that need, that need to take place. If you can't trust anything around you. You know, it's like, how how do you discern?
1: How do you discern what you can trust or when there's a problem or what's the question?
2: Yeah, you know, there's some, you know, I I can discern what's within me. I can discern what I'm touching and seeing in the course of my day. But in terms of social justice or social matters that are beyond me but in my community how, how do i know whether some those are agendas or whether those are truths like i'm just curious what uh, so the conversation is society being a mirror meanwhile if we're talking about society being manipulated it's just i don't know there's some kind of paradox in there that's hard for me to figure out
1: so it's Let's see, how can I put this? Because there's a bunch in that question. Well, let's say it first it starts out with worldview. The way that you experience the world, like we were talking about with the police on Black people brutality and and some of those other issues that are circulating right now. Um, The worldview, how we experience the world is... Often, if not always, different from the way the world actually is. And this is what we were talking about a couple episodes ago on, on one of the books, Loving What Is. Um, so what's being, what's transpiring here for people is not actually going out and saying, hey, look, there's a problem. Black people are being brutalized and terrorized and killed in these vast numbers by police officers. What's happening is that's being shown enough times to adjust the world view of the people paying attention to whatever that news outlet is. And then what can you do with people that are now hold this new worldview? So for you, it's about checking in with yourself and seeing. If you're just parroting what you're hearing, if, you're, you know, if if the problem you've identified in the world actually exists in the world, if it only exists within yourself. Like Brandon said, he looked into it and he was like, well, guess how many black people died at the hands of police last year? Or Not last year, it was 2019 or something. It was only like 17, which him and I were joking last year when COVID came out kids under five had killed more people than COVID did. (laughs) Should we lock them up? Should we quarantine them? They killed a hell of a lot more people than the police departments did in the entire country. And so it's, when you put it into context and you look to see if it's actually a threat, then that's when you can start to use some of that discernment. Like last year, one of the big things that kept being thrown around ever since, you know, flattened the curve was, how many new cases of COVID was coming out. Oh, there's this many new cases today and this many new cases. And nobody continued talking about how many people were actually dying from it. And something Brandon and I would do is get onto the, you know, our World and Data website or the CDC website or a number of other websites that are reporting on the, um, the death certificates being filed and, and other information. And it showed consistently the majority of the year, deaths were on a decline. And that's if you trust the numbers that are coming through those those systems. And so for me, I quickly unplugged my head from the media and I was like, yeah, there's so many more people getting it, but there's less people dying from it. So instead of being terrified that so many people are getting it nowadays and that anybody around me could potentially have it and to be fearful, I'm gonna choose to realize that Less and less people are being reportedly killed from this thing,
0: and And to me, miraculously, less and less people were getting and dying from pneumonia and the flu. And I and I noticed that in the statistics back in April of last year, I was like, "No, this isn't right." I go all of a sudden, all the stats for pneumonia for flu had just dropped to zero. Uh, and looking at all the years past, <laughs> they weren't at zero at that time of the year. So it was clearly skew. And again, this is statistics can be helpful and, and they can be skewed, you know, to, to muddle an idea um, or to create or to support an ideology. And, and you and I had a conversation last week about ideology and what ideology is an ideology it at its foundational levels is trying to create a truth about something based on very few variables. And, and that's what they do with the statistics like incarceration rates, like the, the gender pay gap, like all these statistics that they throw out there and they say, see, look, and they're basing it on one or two variables where Human beings and human society is an extraordinarily complex system that cannot be boiled down to one or two variables, and uh, and that's the biggest problem with this. And like you and I, I mean, I had to drop off for a minute, so I didn't get to see where you guys. I don't even know how we got here, <laughs> but
1: well, Rachel um, was specifically asking about how to discern whether you're being manipulated or if there's an actual problem in the world to address and i went into it starts with worldview and talking about last year the worldview was COVID is getting worse and worse and worse and more dangerous and more dangerous and more dangerous because so many more people are getting it but the fact of the matter is for me anyway the bottom line was how many people are being killed from it and that number continued to drop and drop and drop and drop so i actually felt lighter and happier and less fearful as the year went on, as I watched these numbers drop, whether or not the thing actually exists or is actually deadly or, or anything else, just the pure data being reported showed, yes, more people testing positive, but less people dying. And that's an amazing gap that was starting to show up. Like out of every thousand people that get it, one person dies. That's pretty good. And then the next month, wow, every 10,000 people that get it, one person dies. So I was like, this, my chances are getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the, uh, I, I think that kind of sums up your question, doesn't it, Rachel? It was about how to, where to place that discernment in several different things.
2: Yeah. I was just curious if, yeah, if we were just, if we were going to land anywhere where, I mean, you know what I mean? Like if, if we were just going to have a conversation about big data and then end up out in the abyss but because, I, I don't know, it left me a little bit uncomfortable and incomplete thinking. I think, I mean, obviously you guys are right. And I love, Brandon, what you're saying about, like, oh, it's interesting. Nobody died of pneumonia or the flu, right? Everybody's dying of COVID. Call it all COVID, right? And looking at other data sets, if you will. But not, all, not everybody has time for all that, right? Right. And,
0: and I, I would say it, it. the discernment is in your capacity to think for yourself and not just take what the meaning of numbers are or the meaning of anything from someone else. Think it through. Like, if people are dropping dead all around you, you're like, oh, shit, there's something wrong. But if nobody's dropping dead all around you, like, okay. Maybe this isn't that serious. Like that's, again, that's based on my observation. In my world, I don't know one person that's died of COVID. Not one. Not one. I don't even know anyone who's gotten really sick from it. I've heard people who say they've tested positive for it.